Thanks very much, Mary. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, I'm Martin, and I think I'm coming up for 10 years at Hope Church as a member. Um, but I've not been here for quite some time. I've, I've been away. I think this is my second service since the end of March. So it's really fantastic to be home, and I really do feel home. I've been away from London, away from my family for quite a bit of the time as well. So it's great, it's great to be back. Now, back in May, uh, Matt and I spoke, and he said he was planning this summer uh, sermon series on treasure. That was the brief. <laughs> and as soon as he said treasure, some scripture came to mind, something that I love very dearly. And uh, this is what I'm going to speak about. So let me start by reading it. It's from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 25. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. The line I always come back to um, in that scripture reading is, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I feel it quite strongly because um, I think if you've heard me preach before, I often talk about my work. I used to work as a management consultant, recently retired. And um, I, I used to work on human behavior, so stuff around people. And this line always came back to me, that people would do what was important to them. And by seeing what people did, gave you an insight into their heart, gave you an insight into their motivations for what they did. So it's always been quite close to me kind of professionally, if I can put it that way. But at the same time, I've always found this piece of scripture quite challenging for me. Um, this idea of storing up earthly treasure, because I feel I store up a lot of earthly treasure. So what I wanted to try to do was to explore today, to try and reconcile this in my own mind, um, this, this idea of, I feel I have a heart for God, but at the same time, I do have a collection of earthly treasure. So um, I wanted to explore that a bit with you. I think in the summer series, we tend to be a little bit maybe less theological, maybe a bit more personal. And I, I think I'm probably going to, to, to stick with that theme this morning. So I brought some treasure with me. My wife said, be really careful with this. <laughs> You're carrying this to church. This is a piece of treasure, I confess. Um, I've always had a thing about the 1930s. I think 20s and 30s, my grandparents, who I was extremely close to, I used to love going to their house, and it was full of this kind of stuff. So I think it's always been there for me. And I, about 25 years ago, started trying to collect bits of sculpture. Um, and... 
there's a lot of it made, so you can find it. And that's good. It's not like buying a one-off painting. There's, there's lots of it around uh, if you search for it. And I love rummaging in antique shops and trying to find a little bit of treasure. Now, I share this interest with, with some other people. I, I share this interest with Elton John, the musician. But being Elton John, he would do it on a much bigger scale. And he had a huge collection of Art Deco sculpture. I mean, like thousands of pieces. And not surprisingly, being Elton John, he had the best pieces by the best sculptors of the time. And I saw a few years ago uh, someone else famous, but not household name famous, who was a Russian, who had a hall bigger than this church in St. Petersburg, full of these sculptures. And I remember thinking at the time, if I had all the money in the world, I would not want to do that, much though I loved them. I don't, I don't want to own them in that way. I want to, to really enjoy them. And I love the, the beauty of them, the form. Um, there's something so special to my mind in, in them. Elton John actually sold all of his. And I just wondered if he maybe thought, my need is, <laughs> is to enjoy, not to collect. I think there's a, a tendency to kind of collect something. And Elton John sold all of his. In fact, as a little interesting um, aside, you do see his, his uh, sculptures coming up for auction from time to time. And they all have a little sticker on that says, from the collection of Elton John. And believe me, they're worth twice as much, <laughs> just interestingly. <laughs> Lastly on this theme, um, I think this month, um, one of the big auction houses is selling, uh, is auctioning Freddie Mercury's possessions. Freddie Mercury, I'm sure you remember, uh, the lead singer from Queen, who died in the 90s. And I think he gave all his possessions to his close friend, a female friend, and she's decided to sell. And I saw, only recently actually, the Freddie Mercury film, which I think has been out for some time. It's a great, really good film. But I was left with watching this film of Freddie Mercury and his life. He had this beautiful house in Holland Park, and he had all these amazing paintings and works of, of art. Um, and he had fame, he had celebrity. But he, he wasn't very happy. That was the overwhelming conclusion. And I guess this is a very obvious example of storing up treasures on earth that don't really bring you happiness. They, you know, you, if you have three or four sculptures, okay. If you have 4,000, it's, it's kind of searching for something and maybe you're looking in the wrong place. So I, I mentioned earlier about the fact that I like this piece of scripture. I'll come back to sculpture later. Um, I like this piece of scripture because it, it made me think of, of my work. And I say, I used to work in the field of change, so helping organizations to change. But a central tenet of my work was I can't change anyone, maybe myself, I can't change anyone. But what my job was to try and help people become aware of what they were doing and then decide if they wanted to to make change. Because a maxim I had in my work was we don't see what we don't see. We get used to a way of living, and it's very, it's very easy to always see the world through a particular lens. And that I think my work was about trying to help people see the world differently and therefore make some different choices. 
And as part of my work, I ran a lot of workshops, workshops, groups of, of people. And these were quite deep events, deep in an emotional sense, because change is not up here. It's all in the heart. And so we had to, we had to work at that level with people, which people often found very challenging. And in fact, I used to start my workshops with some, not surprisingly, with some introductions. And I'd ask someone um, to introduce themselves. And it would be typically something like this. I'm Martin, I'm from Highbury, and I'm a customer service manager. And I used to call this kind of introduction name, rank, and serial number. <laughs> because it's, it's not disclosing, it's not emotionally challenging, it's just giving a bit of fact. But it didn't tell me anything about them as people. So I used to often have a follow-up question, which was to say, tell me what your passions are. Think about your life. Tell me what your passions are. Can I, I promise I won't embarrass anyone. Could, could I ask you just to try and answer that question in your head? What are your passions? And maybe a couple of people might volunteer. What are your passions? Carol. Sorry? Gardening. Tell me about gardening in your life, Carol. Thank you. Thank you. In those workshops, it was amazing how it changed the whole mood. As soon as somebody started talking about their passion, you saw something of them. You saw, you saw their body language, you saw their energy. This was them being, in a way, true to who they were. There was something quite, quite uplifting about it. But sadly in these workshops, not everyone felt like that. Quite a few people were quite wistful about the question and would say, well, you know, I used to play guitar, but I, I just don't find the time to do it anymore. Or some people would say, I don't think I have any passions, which always used to make me quite sad on their behalf. But I often had a, a, a test uh, for them. If they, if they couldn't think what the passions were, what I used to say was, have a look in your diary, have a look in your bank account, and see where you're spending your time and your money. And that might give you a clue, either a clue to what your real passions are, so... Um, James, I'm seeing you sitting at the back. I don't know if you still do your photography, but I imagine in terms of time and money on equipment and stuff, that can be quite a, quite a good insight into, into the passion that I know that you have for photography. <laughs> um, so it can be an insight, but it can also be a source of awareness for the person that I thought my passion was this, guitar, but actually I'm spending all my time on something quite different. And, and that's how I used to try and work to help people kind of see what they didn't see. So my conclusions are that, that many people have a heart for things, but busyness of life, distractions, social media, all the stuff that gets in the way of doing the things that are important to us. There's so much noise in our busy, busy lives that we don't get that connection between what's important and what we actually do. And I've got a, a couple of examples. The first, quite a short one, when I was, I was working in a, 
big hospital trust up in the northwest. And I was walking across the quadrangle between some of the hospital buildings. And a man, I saw this man running towards me. And when he was 15 yards away, I recognized him. And I'd been on a workshop that I ran a couple of weeks previously. And I wondered what he was going to do. <laughs> he was running towards me. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? And his words were something like, the workshop I went on with you has such an impact on my life. He said, when I said what my passions were at the beginning, I said my passions were my family, my wife and my two children. And he said, I went home at the end of that workshop after three days. And he said, I looked at my life and I was working 10, 11, 12 hours a day. I came home. He said, the first thing I did was I mowed the lawn. Or I did a job, I did some jobs around the house. I had this need to tick off the jobs in the house. And yet I was saying there was this important thing in my life was my family. And he said, I, he said, I, I promise you, in the last two or three weeks, I've spent time with my wife talking about this. And really, we've started to make some change. I mean, one doesn't often get that kind of feedback, but it's, it's, it's so fantastic when you hear it. The second example is... is if you don't mind, it's about me. Uh, I said perhaps this is a, a more personal sermon. But I want to take you back 20 years, September 2003. I remember it just before my 10th wedding anniversary. And 4.30 in the morning, I think it was a Wednesday morning, 4.30 in the morning, I was sitting on the edge of my bed while my wife was asleep, putting on my socks. And I was getting ready for the taxi that was coming at five o'clock to take me to the airport for a flight that was going to take me to Amsterdam, where I was doing a project for Philips, the electronics company. I've been working on this for a year. I was there most weeks, most days for most weeks. And the thing about it, when I wasn't there, I was still there in my head. All I could think of was this stressful job. And it was a midweek, which was unusual to be home, but I'd come home, I got home at nine o'clock the night before, when my children were in bed, asleep, just so I could be in my own bed, so I could sleep in the same bed as my wife. I saw my children, but I didn't speak to them, I just watched them sleeping. And I was tired, I just, I think I'd, I was getting to the end, I'd really had enough. And my wife, in her great wisdom, when I half woke up, and she said these words, and I remember them as clear as day. Martin, you don't need to do this. Don't do this for us. So in other words, not for me and the children. And shortly afterwards, it was just after my wedding anniversary in October, I resigned. And in the first couple of months having resigned, I had to work my notice, but I was then hardly doing much work at all. I did three things. The first thing I did was I signed up and started a cooking diploma. I had signed up for this four times previously. I'd paid money to go on it and had to cancel every time because of work. I love cooking. I've always loved cooking. Um, I wanted to do this, but I'd never done it. The second thing was I bought a bike. Not a bike for 30 years. I bought a bike. And the third thing I did was I found an Alpha course to attend. I felt I needed to explore faith. If you kind of roll forward 
Um, I did the diploma. I finished it in 2007. I still love to cook. Cycling's a real passion for me. Um, I used to have four bikes. That's a lot of earthly treasure. Uh, I now have three. And the third part, my faith is so crucial to my life. It's so central to who I am as a person. And I think looking back, I was, I was working ridiculously hard. I was trying to do too much. I wanted to be perfect. I felt it was my job to provide for the family. And all this time, I didn't have the courage to say I needed help. Because in my firm I worked for at the time, you wouldn't say that. That's just not how it was. But I, I look back, I'm absolutely convinced that God was speaking to me at that time. I'd always had a little bit of faith, but never the clarity that I got from that. God speaking to me, and he was saying, find time for the important things in your life. Find time for yourself. Find time and space for your family. And find time for me. And I started, this is 20 years ago, I, my life is so different now. It's so much happier and so much more fulfilled. And I think I was just looking for this treasure in all the wrong places. And at the time I had money and I was working so hard so I could buy whatever we wanted, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't give you what you need. And I, I come to the view that owning sculpture is okay, it's fine, it's good. It brings me pleasure. Absolutely fine. It's earthly treasure, but it's okay. Cooking, cycling, they're okay too. Better than okay. Work's okay. Mowing the lawn's okay. Enjoying our personal passions. It's okay. It's more than okay. It's fulfilling. It's part of who we are. And yes, let's encourage it. But let's not make it distract us from the important things in our lives. My children have told me, as soon as I've gone, they're going to do two things. One, they're going to get tattoos. <laughs> and the second thing is, Dad's half a dozen Art Deco sculptures are going on eBay. <laughs> Believe me, they've said that many times. And I, I said, that's earth, earthly stuff. It's okay. I'm fine with that. I hope that Martin's Art Deco sculpture collection is a very small footnote to my life. But that's not what I'm remembered for. And my wife retired, and we both retired pretty much in the last month. And so, maybe 67, and she's starting to look not that many years ahead, so looking back a little bit at, at our lives. And I think the real treasure for me, but I didn't know it at the time, was really doing God's work. And I, don't, I, I didn't label it as such. It's only now with hindsight. I, I hope this isn't blowing my trumpet, but I, I had a team of about 50 women and five or six men when I was at work. I had a very large team. This is you know, 20, 25 years ago. And I remember feeling it was the right thing to do, do as much as possible to help them manage family lives and do all the things they needed to do. I, I, was so, I remember feeling so passionately about that. And one of my greatest moments in consulting was when one of the mums of the women I worked for came and thanked me for everything I'd done for her daughter. And I, it's, so I'm not trying to show off here, but it's just, I recognize that, forget all the jobs I did as a consultant. To me, that's what makes the difference. That's the thing I'm most pleased about. 
Second, just a couple of examples. Today would have been my parents' 74th wedding anniversary. They made it to 70, bless them, uh, but sadly both passed away in the last four years. But in the last 10 years, I probably went to visit them in Manchester every week and, and to spend time with them, to care for them, ultimately moving them into a care home, to manage their finances for them and that. And sorry, I'm not trying to sound like a hero, but just to me that was so important to do that. And I think in my old life, I, I would never have had time to do that. And I suppose the, the, the final one I wanted to mention, just because it's very pertinent to this church, is I spent seven years. I've just stood down recently, but for seven years I was chair of Spear, our church's charity, that brought me so much pleasure and satisfaction. But to me, that's God's work. That's helping people in our community. And those are the kind of things that, when I look back, that's what's important. My so this is, this is absolutely the footnote. So, I guess to me this is about saying it's okay to have some earthly treasure. I hope I'm not going against the gospel on that. I think it's okay. But it's about don't let it stop you doing the important things in life. And those important things, I think Mary's going to summarize for us in the last words of this, uh, not now Mary, in the, in the last words of this service, the last words are, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. That's real treasure.